Genesis 9. We'll read a few scriptures and then we'll go to Hebrews and then to Revelations. And we'll trust God, the Holy Spirit, to correlate the whole thing. Okay, so we know that obviously from the sixth chapter of Genesis how the imaginations of man's heart it was all evil continuously as, as Christ looked at, at the earth and looked at mankind and they were obviously they weren't doing too good <laughs> there was violence everywhere kind of sort of like today because in Genesis 6.11 it, 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 at times then was, was violence there was all kinds of violence going on obviously through the evil imaginations of man's heart. And then, of course, that was the declaration that God was going to do something about it. He was going to bring judgment on the earth. And, of course, he had Noah prepare an ark. And can you imagine from the time that he saw that, still it was 120 years where God was waiting in patience and just showing his character, his nature, his character in essence. But can you imagine for 120 years, uh, Noah is preaching and he's building an ark. And of course, as we know in, in, in types, and we know that Christ, Jesus Christ himself, he is the anti-type to every single type that's in the Bible. So the ark that was being built because judgment was going to come was a type of Jesus Christ. So the ark that he was building was where those that would obviously look for a savior and be delivered were going to be in that ark. And of course we know that there was a, a total of eight and we know that eight uh, throughout the scriptures, the number eight, it really speaks in one sense of resurrection, uh, the number eight. So there was eight that went in to that ark, and then the judgment of God came in the form of a flood. And, of course, the ark rested above, was always above those waters of judgment. And then, of course, uh, we see in Genesis, uh, the 8th chapter and the 20th verse, it says, And Noah built after he came out of the ark, and the waters finally receded. And remember, that took about a year for that, all that water to recede so that finally he could, he could uh, come out. And that was the type of sending the doves and, and so forth. We don't want to get into all that, but what we really want to, because it's loaded with uh, all kinds of truth that points to Christ, everything that, that he was in his person, he is in his person, and all the work that he accomplished. But then it says, after he came out, and we see right here, again, in Genesis, the eighth chapter, ninth verse, it says, but the dove found no rest for the sole of her foot, and she returned unto him into the ark. For the waters were on the face of the whole earth. Then he put forth his hand and took her and pulled her into, into the ark. And stayed yet 
Of course, again, seven days, it says. And again, he sent forth the dove out of the ark, and the dove came in the evening, and lo, in her mouth was an olive leaf plucked off. So Noah knew at that point, it says here in the 11th verse, the waters were abated from the earth. Again, seven is, again, it's a type of the finished work. Uh, six days, God created the earth, and we know in Genesis 2, verse 2, seventh day, he rested. He rested. And that was a Sabbath rest for God. And of course, we know that, that God the Father, he is resting in Zephaniah 3, verse 17. It says he rests in his love. And of course, he's resting in the son of his love that would accomplish everything that needed to be accomplished pertaining to God himself and then to mankind. And so the dove, again, again, representing the Holy Spirit, came and had an olive a branch, which would, which would speak of peace, judgment, dispassed. And then after all of that, in the eighth, again, the eighth chapter, in the 20th verse, it says this, and then Noah built an altar unto the Lord. Very interesting. Long before you get into the offerings and so forth that are brought out in the book of Leviticus, here we have Noah, right? This was long before the law. What does he do? He built an altar unto the Lord and took of every clean beast and every clean fowl and offered burnt offerings on the altar. And you don't really see explained in detail the burnt offering until you get to Leviticus, the first chapter, and all the way through to the fourth chapter. You, you begin to understand what the, the burnt offering was obviously a type of Christ giving himself up wholly to God the Father. Everything about him. That's why it was a whole burnt offering. An offering, really, the Hebrew says, that went up to the Lord. An offering that went up. And that was a type of Christ. He offered himself completely and totally to the Father. And that's why he could say in John 8, verse 29, and Romans 15, verse 3, he always did those things that pleased the Father. So it was a burnt offering that would go up and it would be a sweet savor a, and a beautiful aroma to the Father. So here again, in Genesis 8 verse 20, Noah built an altar unto the Lord and took of every clean beast and of every clean fowl and offered burnt offerings on the altar. And <clears throat> verse 21, and the Lord smelled a sweet savor. And the Lord said in his heart, I will not again curse the ground anymore for man's sake. For the imagination of man's heart is evil from his youth. <laughs> Imagine. Well, that's why David would say in Psalm 51 verse 5, I was conceived in iniquity. That's why it says in, in Psalm 58, verse 3, as soon as they be born, the babies, they go forth from the womb, they speak lies because of this principle. But he said, neither will I again smite any more every living thing as I have done. 
while the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, cold's coming soon, and summer and winter and day and night will not cease. And then in the ninth chapter, and, and God blessed Noah and his sons. Why could God do that? Well, because there was an ark that could save him from judgment that was coming upon the whole earth. And that was a type of Christ who would be above the judgment. <clears throat> and then he offered and built an altar and brought a sacrifice, just like Abel, way back, way back in the, in the, in the fourth chapter of Genesis. He, brought, he had to bring a sacrifice. And, uh, and because of that sacrifice, he was accepted. There was an acceptance. And so it says, God blessed Noah and his sons. And it was based upon this altar and the sacrifice that was on the altar. And said unto them, be fruitful. And again, this is a beautiful picture of because... Christ, in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 21, for he, God the Father, made him, Jesus Christ the Son, to be the sin sacrifice for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. So we, like Moses, in type, but even more so, we find ourselves to the place of being fruitful, because in Isaiah 53, verse 10 and 11, it would be the fruit of the travail of his soul, it says. Remember that in Isaiah 53, verse 1, it says, Who will believe our report? To whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? And who will believe our report? What we're going to teach. And then, of course, it goes on and it describes Christ and everything that he would accomplish on the cross in prophecy. And so we can be fruitful. And that's why Jesus, again, this again is a type, that's why Jesus in John 15, verses 1 through 5, he said, I am the true vine, and you are the branches. And of course, we can't bear fruit unless we abide in the vine. We don't bear any fruit unless we do. And remember too also in Galatians 5, 22 and 23, it's, the, it's called the fruit of the Spirit. It's the fruit of the Spirit because the Holy Spirit takes what Christ has accomplished and has given it, what Christ has given it to us, the Holy Spirit makes it real and brings it forth in our experience. And so because of that fruit that we have, and then it says, and multiply. And God gives us everything that he has given us in Christ. And he multiplies it in our life. And then we can pass it on. We can be a blessing. 2 Corinthians 3, 2 and 3 says that we are a written, we become, because of Christ in us, a written epistle, known and read of all men. And because of that fruit that we've been given, 
And he always does in Ephesians 3, verse 20, exceeding and abundantly above all that we could ask. So he gives us way more than we need because then we pass on this life that Christ has given us and it multiplies. It multiplies. So that's why he could say to him, uh, be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth. But just to get on, it goes to the ninth verse in Genesis, the ninth chapter, and it says, and I... Behold, I establish my covenant with you. See, God does it all. And he gave us his son. And by his son, the burnt offering in type, the ark in type, the mercy seat in Exodus 25, 17 to 22, is a type of Jesus Christ. And But he says that I establish my covenant with you, something that God had to do. We couldn't do it. And it's true even about every single moment of our life. Truthfully, whether we know it or not or have gotten to that place, we cannot do a single thing without him. Can't do a thing. I mean, we have to have him. We have to absolutely depend on him. So he says, I will... I will establish my covenant with you and with your seed after you and with every living creature that is with you of the, of the fowl, the cattle, every beast of the earth with you and all that go out of the ark to every beast of the earth. And look what it says again in Genesis 9, verse 11. And I will establish my covenant with you. Neither will all flesh be cut off anymore by the waters of a flood this type of a judgment, and that's what the waters were. Neither will there be any more a flood to destroy the earth. And God said, and this, these are the verses we really want to get to and just touch on them briefly tonight. And God said, this is the token of the covenant which I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you for perpetual generations. I do set my bow in the cloud. He's talking about the rainbow now. Why are there rainbows? And what do they represent? He said, I do set my bow. And I tell you right now, this is what in type God is talking. God the Father is talking about his son. That's his bow. That's what the rainbow represents. But he said, I will set my bow in the cloud and it will be for a token. It will be for a token of a covenant between me and the earth. And it will come to pass when I bring a cloud over the earth that the bow will be seen in the cloud. And I will remember my covenant, which is between me and you, and every living creature of all flesh, and the waters will no more become a flood to destroy all flesh. Mm. And then we'll turn to, you don't have to turn that, I'll read it to you. And then let's go all the way forward now in Revelations, the fourth chapter. It says this in verse one. <clears throat> After this, I looked and behold, a door opened in heaven. Who's the door in John 10, verse 7 and 9? 
Jesus Christ is the door. He, in Acts 4, verse 12, is there's only one name given among men whereby we must be saved. It's the name Christ Jesus. He's the door. He's the only way into the presence of God. He's the only one that can keep us and has, thank God, dealt with the sin question for you and I. He has dealt with the sin question in terms of what we were, crucified it in Romans 6, 1 through 6. And then he paid for our sins. He paid for our sins. And thank God that he did that. And he's the door right into the presence of God the Father. Because he said here, it's a, it was a door opened in heaven. And he said, the first voice which I heard was as it were a trumpet talking with me, which said, come up here and I will show you things which must be hereafter. And boy, I would love to make this clear. I got to stop just real quick here. Okay. The Bible teaches nothing but pre-tribulational rapture. Okay. That's what it is. It's not mid-trib. It's not new post-posties trip. It's not post-trib. It is pre-trib. Okay? Because we, the church, do not go through it. The languages in the original language is absolutely clear. And by the way, there are those who have some of their theories who think they know just enough Greek and think they have just enough intelligence to tell you there could be another way. Make the sound of the flush with that kind of stuff. Because 1 Corinthians 15, 51 and 52, 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 to 18, talks about the rapture of the church. We are raptured. Judgment has been dealt with. The sin issue has been dealt with with us. Mark it down. I mean, come on. The sin issue has been dealt with, crucified. Romans 6, 1 through 6. Our sins have been paid for. 1 Peter 2, verse 24. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 21. Psalm 103, verse 12. As far as the east is from the west, so far has our sins been removed. That's why there's no wrath for us. And 1 Thessalonians 1, verse 10. 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 9. John 3, verse 36. John 5, verse 24 countless of scriptures <sighs> did Jesus finish the work in John 17 verse 4 did he finish the work in John 19 verse 30 did he say it is finished what did he leave undone for us and by the way the tribulation is not for the church it's for Israel it's called in Jeremiah 30 verse 7 Jacob's trouble Remember what his name was changed to? Israel. It deals with the nation of Israel. The church is raptured off the earth. Revelations 3.10, very clear, I will save you. And the Greek word is not dia, through. The original Greek. Get the Greek New Testament out. It's not 
Dia threw its eck out. <laughs> Did he take all our judgment on him? Did he leave anything undone? My God, follow it through. Got enough, just enough Greek and natural intelligence to come up with other theories. Because after this I looked, and behold, the door was open, and the first voice which I heard was, as it were, of a trumpet saying, talking with me, come up here. You're off the earth. Because I'm going to show you, once you're up here with me, things that must be after. Oh, boy. There's so much damage caused by just not studying the scriptures and staying true to them and are letting the scriptures speak for themselves. I mean, there's enough truth in the English Bible with the preponderance of all the evidence to come up with the truth. Some, sometimes, though, some like to tickle others with their Greek and their intellect. Ooh. <laughs> the scriptures speak for themselves. Come up here. I will show you things that must be hereafter. Okay, now I'm going to go back to, to the rainbow. But I hit 4 verse 1. And, oh, boy. And then it says, Immediately I was in the Spirit. And behold, watch what it says, a throne set in heaven. There was a throne. And one sat on the throne. And guess why he was sitting? Because the work was finished. And he was sitting there in his humanity. You see, man in his fallen state could not go into God. So the glorious gospel... The beauty and glory of the gospel is that God came out to meet man. And he came out through Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ dealt with every single thing, removed every single hindrance. And then it says he seated on a throne. And he's seated there in his humanity representing all of you and I. That's right. And anymore, does Jesus have to go through the tribulation? Think about it, folks. Does he? Is he our life in Colossians 3, verse 4? Did he finish the work? Is he pure and righteous and holy? And is he our life? Oh, very simple. But listen, there was a throne in heaven and one sat on the throne. And thank God, he's seated. He's seated. And it says, and he that sat. See? You think the Holy Spirit wants us to see some things? He sat. Again. And he that sat was to look upon like a jasper and a sardine stone. And one of these days we can get into all these things. But, but look what it says. And there was a rainbow. Round about the throne in sight like unto an emerald. Now that rainbow in Genesis 9, 13 and 14, when we look at them, they're like this. It's like a half of a bow, right? And that's beautiful. 
It's beautiful in its meaning. It's unbelievably beautiful. Because remember, back here in Genesis, the ninth chapter, and the 13th verse, remember what it says. He says, I do set my bow in the cloud. When we think about the rainbows in the clouds, what allows that rainbow, what allowed that rainbow to be here was first and foremost, something had to happen. And what happened? Noah built an altar, which was representative of the cross of Jesus Christ, where judgment was dealt with on that cross. There had to be a judgment. Thank God that he took our judgment. That's what Noah was saying. That's what Abel came with. He knew there was nothing he could do in himself. That's why God said, I do set my bow in the cloud. I make my covenant with you. Again, Job 23, verse 14. He performs the thing that he requires. The only thing he requires for us is to receive the performance of his son. It's called Christianity. It's called receiving. Boy, you don't have to be an intellectual or a Greek scholar to figure this stuff out. Thank God. Seriously. And by the way, I teach it this way, by the grace of Almighty God. If there's a scholar on the face of the earth, if there is a theologian, he is called God the Holy Spirit. You just mark it down. I don't see why a man would call himself a scholar or a theo. What's the theo start with? Is that that God? (laughs) I mean, seriously, I has not seen. He's talking about any eye, I don't care, any human. Eye is not seen, nor ear heard. Neither is entered into the heart of man, the mind of man, the things which God has prepared for them that love him. But they are given to us freely by the Holy Spirit. You know, God, the Holy Spirit. Because he searches the deep things of God. He searches the deep things. None of us can. We can't plummet the heights of who God is and what he's accomplished. That's why like begets like. In other words, if I want to know what God is like, I need to go to God. That's what I need. He said, I set my bow. So there was burnt offering, and the burnt offering here is a type of Christ who was totally and completely and wholly dedicated to God the Father. Totally. And that's what Noah was doing. He built an altar and said, this is, this is what I need. I need an innocent victim who is completely dedicated to God the Father, who is going to take my judgment upon him. So the priest, it says, will burn all. You see this all through Leviticus. The priest will burn all upon the altar. That's what he'll do. But here's the fact of the rainbow. Here's the fact of the rainbow. The colors of that beautiful symbol, the rainbow, 
and it's called a symbol of hope. This symbol of hope is incredible because that rainbow is composed by the rain clouds dissolving light into its different elements. See? Now, God is light, remember? And in him is no darkness at all. 1 John 1, 5. Jesus said in John 8, 12, I am the light of the world. He that walks after me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. He said in John 9, verse 5, as long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. And that light was the life of men in John 1, verses 3 and 4. Now, God is light. And when God is manifested in the flesh, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, when he was manifested in the flesh and he comes in contact with the clouds of earthly sorrows because of judgment, when he comes, his nature, his nature is revealed in a beauty and grace that was never known before. He enters in to our troubles. He enters in to our sorrows. He put on humanity. We couldn't go in. We couldn't go into God. So God came out. And he came out in Jesus Christ. He came into the clouds of sorrow and trial, and pain, and suffering of humanity. He entered fully into it by putting on humanity. He entered fully into it. Into the clouds, into the judgment. And it brought out his beauty, his unbelievable beauty towards us. And then we see, as we go right back, to Revelations, the fourth chapter, and we'll close it with this. In Revelations, the fourth chapter, again, what we see in verse three, and he that sat, he that finished it all for us, he that took all the judgment on him, he was the just in First Peter three eighteen, dying for the unjust, that he might bring us to God. We couldn't go in. God came out, and God came out and put on humanity so that he could take us right back into the Father, right back into God. And so he sat because he finished it. He dealt with it. And he that sat was to look upon like a jasper and a sardine stone, and there was a rainbow round about the throne in sight like an emerald. And that's a picture. It's a round one now. It's not a half one. He's finished the work and only God the Son could come out from God and put on humanity and bring us back and unite heaven and earth. That's why it's round. It's a beautiful, round rainbow, and it'll be there forever. 
because it will reveal the nature and character and essence and beauty. And listen, every single one of us, I guarantee it, every single one of us, one of us, we can do it now. And when we sing his songs, we're testifying of his beauty in us. He has beautified the meek with salvation. You see that in Psalm 25, many other Psalms, verse 9 and so forth. He has, he is our everything. He's made our life beautiful. He took what was ruined in time and in sorrow and in pain. And with his beauty in our life, he led us through. He led us through. And he sits there and he represents us. And because of what he's done, he has united heaven and earth. It's round. Heaven and earth are now one. Because he came out. There's no way that we could have ever gone in apart from him. And then we'll just close with this. <clears throat> in Hebrews 4, 14 to 16, this is what it says. <clears throat> Seeing then that we have a great high priest. Oh, he's not just a high priest. He is the great high priest that is passed into the heavens. Those high priests in Exodus and Leviticus, they could only go in once a year. Once a year, they could only go into the Holy of Holies once a year. But Jesus Christ, and that was just a shadow that was pointing to Jesus Christ. He has passed into the heavens because that Holy of Holies represented in type the very inner presence of God. He came out from the inner presence of God by putting on humanity, becoming one with us, us receiving him. And when he passed into the heavens, literally, he opened it for us. He passed into the heavens. Jesus, Jesus, his human name, the Son of God, Jesus and his humanity. He, in his humanity, and the Son of God, always the Son of God. John 1, 14, and the Word who always is, it's the only way we can say it, because he had no beginning and it'll have no end. He tabernacled, he put on flesh, he became agoneo in the Greek, for all you Greek scholars, all those wonderful, gifted, amazing Greek scholars, it's agoneo. He became and put on flesh. And he became a man. And when God came out, he came out not only in our ruin to deal with it, not only in our judgment, but to be completely one with us. And in passing into the heavens, only he could do it as the Son of God in perfect humanity. Let us hold fast our profession. No, it's confession. In the Greek, it's homologeo. It's our confession. And one of these times we'll get into all what that means. For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities. 
boy, oh boy. Boy, he came out, not just to deal, of course, to propitiate his father. And then through propitiating the father, he could reconcile us. God never had to be reconciled to us. We had need to be reconciled. And thus receiving Christ as our substitute, we would be reconciled or brought right back into the presence of God. But he came out. He put on humanity. And by the way, look what it says. But was in all points tempted like as we, like, under, underline that word, like, as we, and then you see where it says, yet without sin, you can just cross that out, because I'll tell you what the original says. It says, apart from sin. In other words, his temptation was not like yours and mine. Through a fallen nature, there was nothing in him that could even begin to succumb to temptation like you and I. He had perfect humanity. It was perfect. Very perfect humanity. But he suffered by seeing what sin was doing. And it was entering into him. And by the way, do you think, was he ever, was he rejected? Was he hated? Was he despised? Do you think that had an effect on him? Yes, it did. It entered in. He suffered because of it. But not like you and I. Never. There's no way he could have been tempted like you and I. It's not, it's not even what it's saying at all. There's a lot of teaching out there that'll tell you that. There's some even some trash, ridiculous films, supposedly, that'll tell you that stuff. The reality is he could never be. He, it was with sin apart. So what can we do? Let us therefore come boldly. We can come boldly. And listen, when, and this is not talking about sin here. It's talking about when we're weak and when we are so weak, when we're weak, we can come boldly to the throne. We can't, and he'll give us his strength because he knows what it's like in perfect humanity to be weak and to suffer, but yet sin apart. Sin apart. And thank God it's, that, it's the truth because then he could give us the strength that he had. Sin apart. So let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of what? Grace. It's a throne of grace. That's why it's green. That's why the predominant color in Revelation 4 verse 3 is green. Scientifically proven, green is the easiest, most relaxing color for the human eye to look at. It's why the grass is green where we walk. The trees, which speak, they speak abundantly. You read the Psalm, the 25th Psalm. The Lord my shepherd I won't lack. He makes me to lie down in tender grass, green grass. Oh, boy. It's all about Christ. It's all about what he's accomplished for us. So we can come boldly to him because he knows what it's like to be human, sit apart, and feel the rejection and suffering and pain through being weak. 
Remember, in 2 Corinthians 13, verse 4, he was crucified in weakness. He had humanity, perfect humanity, perfect humanity. And thank God, he's now seated as a man. I love it. When God became a man, he became a man forever, forever to identify with us forever. Even now we can run to that throne. And by the way, when we do, God the Father is so glorified every time we do. Every single time we do, he's glorified. So we should not hesitate, therefore, to come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain his tender, compassionate love for us because he knows what it's like. And this mercy here is not to be propitiated like the publican, the good guy. And the other guy was the Democrat. <laughs> Just kidding, by the way. In Luke 18, 13 and 14. Because that's what he was praying. He was saying, God, be propitiated. God be propitiated, he was saying. That's why David would cry out in Psalm 51, verse 14, deliver me from blood guiltiness. And you're just covering it right now. And you're letting it pass till Christ comes. But still my conscience, I have to deal with it. And Christ coming out and, and taking care of it for us, he has dealt with it. So then we come. And what do we find when we come and run to him, when we're weak, we run to him because, he, because he's compassionate, he's merciful. He has tender, loving, compassionate feelings towards us. And he, and he wants us to run to him that we might find what? Grace to help right in the nick of time, it says. Right in the nick of time. Why? Because that throne, that throne has a rainbow. That's right. Those clouds of judgment that were upon us, he came down and entered in. And all that those clouds would do, those times of judgment and sorrow and pain, would bring out unbelievable beauty, a beauty of him in and through us. And it's remarkable to think of this that it became him to be made like unto us. God, <laughs> to be made like unto us, to bring us back in, to bring, to, it behooved him <clears throat> so that he could suffer, to make the captain of, the, of, of theirs, uh, our leader complete in salvation. And that's why both he that sanctifies and then that are sanctified. In other words, he that's holy and those that he makes holy through his righteousness are all of one. And he's not ashamed to call us brethren. That's why we can run to that throne. When we're weak and we're overwhelmed, we can run there and God is so glorified because he has all of this tender, loving, compassionate feelings because he was crucified in 2 Corinthians 13, verse 4, through weakness. 
the rainbow. Every time we see it, that's what it speaks of. Beautiful rainbow. So, Father, we thank you for uh, this brief explanation of those things that you've given us tonight. And it's so much more in depth. And again, we can, we can only scratch these little things. Scratch them just a little bit. But we're thanking you and we're praising you for what you've given us. We just thank you, Father, again, for Christ. Thank you that uh, you made your covenant based upon your son, who was the lamb slain in Revelation 13, verse 8, from the foundation of the earth, and the works were finished in Hebrews 4, verse 3. And there are hours to simply walk in in Ephesians 2, 10. Thank you and praise you, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen.